the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Raquel. And in this episode, I interview Mary Jo Markey, who's cut such films as Super 8, Mission Impossible 3, and has worked on Lost. In this episode, we talk about how she got into the industry. And afterwards, Lauren and I are going to talk about the new Forward Film Review contest, as well as a few other things. So please enjoy this episode of The Cutting Room. Manual dexterity. Dramatic judgment. Storytelling sense. A for pacing and tempo. Endless into the film industry and then into film editing? Sure, I got into the film industry totally by accident. <laughs> I, had no, I had no intention of really being a part of it. I was married to someone who wanted to get into the film business, who had worked in film in the Midwest where we were living. I was a graduate student in the English department at Ohio State, and I also did some work in public interest in Ohio, uh, in Ohio politics. And in the meantime, he was working on films in Ohio and in Chicago and started working kind of regularly on Redford pictures. And we ended up moving out here and I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted to do. I'd kind of given up the idea of becoming an English professor. And I went to work on Redford staff just because I'd gotten to know him from Pat Markey working with him. And then I kind of went on permit. First, I went to distributed public interest short that he had made on solar energy and then I kind of just went on permanent staff and was doing writing for him and got kind of gradually interested in different aspects of the film business just from being around them. I really didn't know anything about the film business at all. And I worked in casting on The Natural in 1983, but while I was on The Natural I kind of got interested in editing. I saw, for one thing, that there were women working in the editorial department. There were not, there were just a lot of departments that looked like they were totally men. This is all, you know, this is early 80s. It was a little different. And um, I told him that I wanted to try editorial and I was gonna see if I could, you know, get somebody to hire me. And there was a Sundance film that was going into production and he arranged for me to get to be in the uh, editing room on that film as an apprentice. Chris Levinson cut that movie. And then I went back on staff at the end of that movie. And I thought, well, now it's time for me to leave and I'll go out and I'll try to become an, you know, an apprentice film editor. And he said, I don't stand, he didn't think that was a good idea, that it was gonna be too hard. And he said, if, if I waited, the next time he directed a movie, he would make sure that I was part of the editing room. Because the, the, the Sundance project had been like a low budget, you know, under the radar, non-union concern. And in those days, you could not get into the union. It, would, it was a crowbar situation. <laughs> so he was good to his word. And on Milagro Beanfield War, edited by Dee Dee Allen, I was an apprentice editor. I, I did get into the union. And then after that, I did not go back to his staff. 
And what did you learn from Dee Dee Allen? Because she's like an oh, icon. She, absolutely. Yeah. She's absolutely one of our greats. Well, I was an apprentice and it was a very big crew. So I wasn't working that closely with her, but I did have my opportunities and she did love to talk. She talked about her work all the time, which was great. One thing I there was, I remember over Christmas, most people, she didn't want to stop working. Most people wanted to go on holiday. And I said I would stay and assist her. So that was, you know, it was a good move on my part because it was a chance to get in the room with her and see what she was doing. And one of the things that she did was obsessively watch dailies. She over and over and over again would look at dailies. And I remember at one point she was cutting this sort of ensemble dialogue scene, a bunch of people standing around in a kitchen, and she saw this look that Jose Mondragon's wife gave to Jose. It was a, a very empathic look. It was full of love. It was full of meaning. And she took that look and she said, I have to use that. And she started kind of planning her scene around knowing that this was a key moment that she wanted to get to in this in this scene and it was kind of you know at that time I really didn't even though I had been in editing rooms I still didn't really know what editors did and it was kind of a beginning of a window on how they think that they, that they have this they get this idea or we get this idea in our heads of a feeling that we want to convey or a moment that becomes important to us that kind of sums up something that we want the scene to mean and that dailies are the key to that mm -hmm. they're always the key to that dailies and well, I guess the two things dailies in the script you know? yeah. <laughs> the other thing you mentioned was your study of English. What did you learn from about storytelling in that that you applied? It's been huge for me. I don't know what it would have been like if I had said gone to film school and a lot of editors have gone to film school but I do not regret that in any way the background that I have. I think it's been hugely valuable. For one thing, theme which is something that I really focused on in graduate school, sort of the overriding meaning of something, of a scene, of a script, of a story, and character, just to really get into those characters at a cellular level, just always kind of peeling, trying to peel back more and more layers. I mean, that's where I live and breathe, and that's what really interests me about the work, and point of view and how things are revealed to the viewer. As an editor, that's what you're doing every minute. You're in control of whether or not the audience sees something now in a scene or sees it later in a scene. And those are all things that I brought from my study of literature and sort of whose eyes we are looking at something through. Are we looking at, are we, are, am I really setting this up so that I'm experiencing it through this character's eyes, or am I, you know, am I allowing this to just be a kind of omniscient scene where everybody's got their shot at it? And most of the time, I think it's much more interesting to do the former. I think it's much more powerful for the viewer if you do it through, through like the, a slow reveal. And through a character's eyes. Mm -hmm. How did you make the leap from assistant to Editor? Editor? Well, it's not an easy one. I started working, you know, I started cutting when I was working with certain editors that would let me cut. And I started seeking out editors to work with who were 
known for giving assistants things to cut. I was, you know, I'd already had these other careers by the time I, and I wasn't a 20, in other words, I wasn't a 20-year-old apprentice. I had already, you know, taught English at Ohio State University. I had already been a lobbyist in the Ohio legislature. I mean, I'd already done other things by the time I got there. So I was a reasonably mature, per, you know, grown-up person. And I wanted to move up. I wanted to move up. I wanted to move along. I didn't want to spend 10 years assisting. I tried to push myself forward, you know. I mean, I just tried to let people know that I wanted the opportunity to do this. And I really thought I could do it. And I went in on my own time to cut and you know I did whatever I could do and even people that weren't that enthusiastic about giving an assistant something to cut somehow I would just kind of jolly them into doing it I mean I, I, you know you know what I mean I mean sometimes you can just make friends with somebody in a way and I don't mean to say manipulate but yeah you can just kind of like Oh come on! Yeah. You get you. You mean to tell me you're, you're not going to give me one lousy scene to cut? How am I supposed to learn anything? Yeah. You know, and you would. I would just get them to do it somehow. And um, I was. Just, I mean, I was supposed to have coffee this morning with somebody that I. He was an editor that I assisted. We're still friends today, and I do remember. I actually got my first job when I was working with him. His agent called him up and said, oh, "I got this young filmmaker, and he he needs an editor." And he hung down the phone, hung up the phone, and I said, Seth, if you do not recommend me for that job, I will kill you. I will just <laughs> kill you. And he said, you're assisting me, you know? And I said, I don't care. I'll find you somebody great. You have to, you have to recommend me for that job. You just have to. And he did, and I got it, and that was, it was a short, but it was like an hour-long short. Yeah. So it kind of became something that I could show people to show that I could really sustain something that was longer than one scene, you know, I'm, and I don't know, I just, you know, and I kept going back and forth, I, and I would end up having to assist again, I got like two or three more shorts, and then there was sort of a, came a certain point where I just thought, if I don't stop taking assistant work, I'm never going to get anybody to just think of me as an editor, and I and take, I just said, I'm not going to do it, if it's not going to work, I need to find some other career, because I... Not that there's anything wrong with this, but I just didn't want to be a, I didn't want to be a career assistant, not even though it's totally honorable work. And I was out of work for probably about six months or so, and I called every, you know, I just kept calling everybody I knew, knew saying, you know, I'm looking for assistant work, if you should hear of anything, and a lot of them were people that I maybe had met when I was working for Bob, for Redford, and I remember I called this one woman. It was not so easy for me to do, to make these calls day after day, but I called this one woman and she said, well, you know, I don't ever hear of editing work, and I hung up and I felt like such a fool, but I don't know how many months later I get this phone call saying, oh, we got your name from so-and-so, and it was that woman, <laughs> and not even been very nice on the phone. <laughs> it's, it's so weird how that happens. It's amazing. You just have to keep, I, I think, I honestly think that I, made myself into an editor because I absolutely refused to be denied. I just kept at it and I just would not give up, you know? And I don't know, I think there are even, I think there are more opportunities now than there were then, but I could be wrong about that. I don't know for sure. So how did you meet uh, Marianne Brandon? Oh, Marianne was, we were just on the same series. She was one of the editors when, when I started on Alias, she was, we were both editors in the same, in the 
first year of, we did not put ourselves together. Yeah. JJ put us together. Okay, because you've we created were, this and whether or not like you, you don't choose to work together or like you yeah, I mean, it's, get it's together he, a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's something that he did. I mean, we, I had already been working with JJ on um, Felicity and then she came on as one of the editors on Alias and then when that first, when he got that first movie, I did not think that I had a shot to cut mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 3. I don't, it's not because I didn't think I could do it, because I totally knew that I could do it. I had just cut the two-hour Lost pilot by myself in three months, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, well, less than that, really. I don't know what the, I think the shooting schedule was about six weeks, and I think we had maybe two weeks after he got back from Hawaii to turn it in, and so I knew damn well I could, yeah. I could cut a feature film, but I mean, I think that that movie is practically, <laughs> that <laughs> pilot is practically a feature film. I don't know why, I just didn't think that, given the fact that it was his first feature, I didn't think Paramount would ever let him hire me. I thought that they would insist on some seasoned feature mm-hmm. editor. But it was actually a friend of mine, a great, a great friend and colleague who said, you know, I'm just gonna like, you know, knock your block off if you don't tell him that you want to cut this this movie. And I finally realized that Norm was right and that I really had to say something. So I, one day when he was leaving the lost cutting room, I just said, oh, you know, JJ, I know there's a lot of people on your list, but I really would love to cut Mission Impossible 3. And, you know, I know that I could do it. And he just laughed and he said, oh, I know you could do it. And that was like, I didn't hear anything about it for a while. And then all of a sudden I heard that Marianne and I were both going over to Paramount to meet with um, to meet with Paula uh, Wagner, mm-hmm. and I guess that was all. Oh, and Dee Dee Allen was there. She and Paula Wagner were friends, and that she Paula wanted Dee Dee to vet whoever was going to cut this movie. And it turned out Marianne knew Dee Dee as well, so I figured that was not going to be too high a hurdle for me. Mm-hmm. And they let us do it, you know, and I think J.J. just decided that he, Marianne had worked on like at that point four or five seasons of Alias. I had left Alias after two seasons because I kind of had a two season policy on TV series. I just find them not, I just find that I don't feel like I am able to sustain the level of commitment and fascination and everything that I need to bring to do my best work if I stay on things too Mm -hmm. long. But she really loved working on it, and she stayed longer, and so she had obviously established a good rapport with J.J., and he just decided he wanted both of us to do it. And it's actually been, even though we don't really collaborate on scenes, Mm -hmm. we just split up the movies, and she takes her part of the movie, I take my part of the movie. We work together when we screen the movies Mm -hmm. together, when we're trying to figure out, well, this needs to happen, or this part's not working, or and it kind of drags in the middle or, you know, whatever. But we don't collaborate on cutting scenes. Or When you're breaking it up, do you just break it up as in, like, the first scene that comes in goes to one, the next scene that comes in? Or do you specifically, you know, I really like to do chase scenes? Every once in a while. No, we don't do that because we don't want either one of us wants to be doing all the action or all the character work. I don't think that would be, it just wouldn't be a good idea. I don't, wouldn't be good for our future work. Yeah. And. 
then I don't know. I mean, I think I would be bored if I was doing only the action and or or only the character stuff. You know, the dialogue stuff. We try to take big sections of the movie, like good fifteen, twenty minutes. It's like stretches. the first reel and the second. Yeah, reel. right. Yeah. So that we're you have a good run at things, and also so that when we're working with JJ, we're not. You know, like I'm working with him and we're going through something and we're going through a big section and then all of a sudden I don't want to be saying every three minutes, oh, well, that's not my scene. You got to go <laughs> talk to Marianne about that, you know, so that it's more convenient yeah. for him, too. That was part one of my interview with Marianne. Lauren. Hi. It's a new year. It is. And uh, how was your New Year's? It was fine. How was your New Year's? Pretty good. Yeah, what'd you do? Uh, well, I spent it with you. Okay. And uh, we watched... Uh, at Boardwalk Empire. Got caught up. Yep. And sure. Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park still holds up. Yep. Lauren. Yes. We had a lot of response to the It's a Wonderful Life Christmas discussion. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Uh, a lot of people like the little facts that we kind of added. Yeah. Uh, and some people were asking, should we do that in more episodes? So bring up a film and add some interesting yeah. Insider facts. The only problem is, is for It's a Wonderful Life, I just happen to have been talking to a distribution specialist. Or, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, they told me that story. So I was kind of fresh, ready for that. So I don't know if I can just pull those out randomly. So maybe we'll do them. Here's my suggestion. Okay. I suggest that considering the types of people that listen to the podcast, and follow you on Twitter. Perhaps mm -hmm. you could throw out five different movie titles one week on Twitter and ask for interesting stories from those five classic films or well-known films or fun films or whatever. And then whatever we get back, we'll tell those stories or read those tweets or whatever. As long as we don't, you know, get anyone in trouble. Well, and it'll also be... Um, How about this? How about... If you know an interesting story of a film that we've interviewed an editor for or have an interview coming up, anything from Super 8 or anything that you think would be a, an interesting tidbit that we should talk about, or even send if it it's, in. It's just any film that is popular enough that most people know of it and you think it's, you know, in the same field of interesting tidbit, then, you know, come yeah. back Gordon, and let him know. We'll call, it, we'll, we'll call this section Audience Tidbits. It's weird. Sounds I feel that's bad. really creepy. Um, <laughs> okay, we won't call it that. Okay. Contact Gord at info at art. Excuse me. I'll have to make some adjustments. 2012. Um, info at AOTG.com or on Twitter at artguillotine or on Facebook, facebook.com slash artguillotine. Yes. Now, we've released our new app, yes. uh, which we mentioned a couple of times in the last couple episodes. Super. If you have an iPhone or you have an iPad, you can now download the app. Uh, if you go to AOTG.com, you'll see the link to it. Um, or you can search in iTunes, just search AOTG 2.0. And as I've heard on various podcasts that I listen to, um, why don't you rate the podcast and yeah. rate the app? I'm figuring we should be asking people to do that, don't I think you think? So. Lauren, it's time for our, our new year, new forward film review. Fantastic. Okay, well, I have some information here, but I'm not quite sure. Have you given me the answer to the yes. one I'm giving out? Okay. So, 
a new forward film review. So the new clue, the first clue that we're giving, and in case you're new to this, the idea is we give a forward film review and the, uh, the film it describes, uh, if you email that to us, then we send you a t-shirt. Yeah. So what film can be described as Tin Man Shows Some Heart? Tin Man Shows Some Heart. Thank you very much. And how, where do they send these emails? Um, where I already said. Um, info at AOTG.com, yeah. at Art Guillotine on Twitter, and Facebook.com slash Art Guillotine. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned briefly, we're going to be in New York in the summer as well. Well, June. Well, June. Yeah. That's summer. Yeah. And LA. And fast. And we're also going to be going to, um, or I'm going to be going to NAB. Where's that? Las Vegas. What? You're going to Las Vegas? <laughs> oh, people. Who, if who, Whoever's going to NAB, please um, uh, send emails to info at AOTG, attention Lauren, and uh, I will need to send um, asthma medication to your house because <laughs> Gord will forget to bring it. And he will have an asthma attack because of the smoking. So if you're going to NAB or Edit Fest, send us an email and let us know because we'll definitely have to have coffee. Yeah, maybe you should set up a pub night. We're working on it. Okay. We're actually working on because a lot or of people coffee night or who listen to this also know that we do post chats yeah. online and we're going to try and do live ones. Fun. So we're in the works. But uh, like I said, send me an email if you're going to be at NAB or Edit Fest. Mm -hmm. Info at artofthegildteam.com. Info at AOTG.com. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can grab a coffee. So with all that said, I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock, my producer. Okay. I'd like to thank the American Cinema Editors, Jenny McCormick, and of course, Mary Jo Markey.